Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Tuesday, August 8th. In the year of our Lord, 2023. It's, it's my mom's birthday. Happy birthday, Dorothy. Yep, there it is. Dude, are you impressed I remembered her name? Yeah, we didn't go over this beforehand. You we just pulled it right out. I pulled it out there of the air. I remembered it. Yeah. Yeah, and actually it was my father-in-law's birthday on August 6th and our church's uh, birthday. And my marriage's birthday is at the so end of this month. birthdays to celebrate. It's just the birthdays month. I'm not going to sing for you, but. We'd like you to though. I, uh, is it this one? Yeah, I think it's this one. I, I anticipate you singing in today's reading. <laughs> yes. Um, I could not read it without hearing it. Right. And so you're going to have to stay tuned to find out that. But as I was studying this in preparation, I was going, Pastor Rod's going to be singing during this podcast. I don't know how you expect me not to. So even before you became our worship leader here, it, it I remember back in AV, like you just always had a song on your, your lips. So you'd walk into a room singing or I'm joyful, man. That's yeah. not, I always got songs on my heart. And, and most of the time, no one ever said anything, but at AV, I did get some flack for that. Did you? Yes. Do you really? remember? No. It was, it was not flack as in like people were making fun of me or anything, but it was just like, hey, you know, I stop passive aggressively. <laughs> like, hey, you're singing again. Yeah, I am. You know, one of those things. Like, okay. 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 All right. All right. Well, it never bothers me. I'm just like, oh, okay. Fair yeah. enough. Today I was singing BTS. Do you know what BTS is? Is that the Korean band? Yes, it is the is K-pop. Okay. And I'm I'm a little ashamed of it, but I'm okay with it enough to be like, you know, it was kind of a bop. Is it was it the shrimp one? No, <laughs> no, no. Is there? It's a, it's an older song. I think it's called Dynamite. Which this is like an up. It's like an upbeat. Like oh, it's a great day. It's gonna yeah. be a dynamite day. One of those things. The shrimp one, man, will always remind me of that revival. Luke Melrose. Yeah. Yeah. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, so. Revival was the the big student ministries camp that was put on by our sending church and Pastor Rod being the high school pastor would lead that uh, year after year. And it was a, a big to do. There was a lot. We had a media department out there. They would come and film things. So what, the, the head of our media department decided it'd be funny to make like a, a joke video. So he went out and got all this like instant shrimp from the grocery store in Marietta, California. It was gross. Yeah. It was stinky. It was like, it was a chewy. He put it in people's pockets yep. and put it in. I, I, he, I don't know if he ever figured it out. I put a boatload of shrimp cause I had a master key. I went into his room and I put a boatload of shrimp under his pillow. Gross. I, I, I expected at some point he probably figured it out. Gross. But, uh, it was, it was my, it was my payback. Yeah. He was putting shrimp in my pockets yeah. when I wasn't paying attention. So I felt like I needed to help him to humble him as an instrument of the Lord to put him in his place. Right. Yeah. Well, and then he had that scene where, so Marietta has hot springs there and he was sitting in one of the hot springs yes. and he dumped the shrimp ramen into the hot spring and like cooked it in and the, was eating it. Oh, he said he got so sick after that, I, which uh, I imagine. Knocked me over with the feather. Anyways, all that to say, there was a K-pop song about shrimp playing in the background of that video. That's so. how we got there. Wow. Yeah. Circuitous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's how it came to mind. Okay. And you're singing. So there you go. That's right. That's how my brain works. Maybe we should do some Korean worship songs for our, because you know, the, the Korean population in North Hey, Texas. we're in Psalm 82, 83, and 84 today. And uh, all the Koreans are offended. There you go. All right. Well, and then the rest of Romans 8. Uh, Psalm 82, speaking of songs, singing, here we are in Psalm 82. 
And uh, Psalm 82 is a short Psalm, but it is pregnant with implications. Um, it has a lot of, uh, of commentary on it and it has to do with the opening. God has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the Ooh, gods, God's Elohim, Elohim. He holds judgment. Okay. Deuteronomy six says here, O Israel, the Lord, your God, the Lord is one, mm-hmm. right? The, the idea of God as the monotheistic God, mono meaning one theistic God, one God, right? Thanks. There are monotheistic religions. Judaism is one of them. So what gives here in Psalm 82 with Asaph all of a sudden saying that God sits among the divine council in the midst of the gods. We've talked about this before on this podcast about the different concepts, the different reference that might be in view with the the word gods. It could be human beings, judges or rulers. Mm-hmm. It could be uh, another classification of human beings. It could be the, the kings of the earth. It could be the, the rulers of nations. Um, it could also be spirits or principalities. It could be the the fallen angels. It could be the angelic uh, angels that are at the 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 beck and call of Satan that are ruling over the powers of this world alongside him. It could also be a reference to false gods as well, but the Psalm opens and it's, it's God taking his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods. What that is. I, I, I don't think we have a, f- a whole lot of clarity in this Psalm, at least Pastor Rod, your thoughts on that. No, I'd agree. Uh, I, I think the point of this Psalm is a thing that we should take away yes. and I'd be very careful. I know there, <laughs> there are, there's podcasts out there and there's people that way, way in on this chapter of the, of the Psalms. And they put a lot of, I don't know, emphasis on this as being kind of the thing that they utilize to, to, to bounce off into another trajectory of theological discourse. They would also take Psalm 82 and marry it to Genesis six, where you have the sons of God and the daughters of men. And, and that's a pretty spicy chapter. That one's got, that one needs a podcast in and of itself and perhaps a sermon or two on top of that. So I guess one, two things I would say, number one, read scripture with humility. The second you start getting too confident in your understanding of it, I think you're in danger because scripture humbles us time and time again. God's the, God is the God of the scriptures. And therefore, if you're serving God and not yourself, God's going to violate your expectations and he's going to humble you in ways that are going are gonna to hurt. Sure. So that's the first thing. Number one, hold it with humility. Secondly, I would say, okay, what's the point of the chapter? I think we could still rightly apply the point, even if we're talking about just human agents here or if we're talking about a divine class of being that is not God. Either way, the point still remains. Yeah, and that point is that God would judge with equity, that God would judge with justice, that God would come to the aid of those that are that are oppressed by whoever these gods are and their wicked ruling and wicked judgment over them. So it's turning to God. It's the weak appealing to him to be the God of the weak, the God of the needy, the God of the oppressed. And uh, and for you guys who have power and, and you do have some form of power, uh, recognize how much God cares about you exercising your power mm-hmm. for the good that he's delivered it to you. He doesn't make you wealthy and strong so that you can hoard it and use it for your own selfish ends. That's what he's chastising them for. I've given you power. I've given you authority and you wield it wickedly. You you judge unjustly. You show partiality to those whom you should not. You, you should give justice to the weak and the fatherless. And this sounds a little bit like James in the New Testament. True religion is to show kindness, to show compassion to the orphan and the widow, to those who are most vulnerable in our society. So I would ask you, Christian, how are you doing with using the power God has given you to exercise God's prerogatives? Uh, I think for most of us, we could always say there's room for improvement. I can get better at this. 
pray for that and recognize that God does care about that. And we're not talking about social justice full bore here. I'm not talking about programs that the government should enact or that we should do this or that. I'm not saying that. I'm not talking about wokeness. I am talking about the prerogatives and the priorities of scripture, justice, uh, faithfulness, caring for the weak and the vulnerable. That's what God calls us to do. Yep. A reflection of his character. That's right. Yeah. Psalm 83, then the psalmist here petitions God to act and thwart the enemies of Israel. Thwart. I wrote that word down when I was writing my description down for this chapter. It's a fun word. Thwart. Thwart. I don't know where it comes from. I'm sure it's old English. Thwart. You've been thwarted. Yeah. See, that worked. Yes. Anyways, that's what God does to the enemies of Israel or the petition for God to do that to the enemies. That's right. Yeah. Do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, O God, as as the psalm opens there. Behold, behold, your enemies, they make an uproar. So be louder than them. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Right? Um, Clap back with the truth. Yeah, there it is. Uh, Yeah. And he's, he's recounting to God what? the enemies are doing that, that that's an interesting thing right have you ever been with someone pastor rod who when you're praying in a group setting like they're informing god they're telling god about everything going on like mm-hmm. and it's it's always kind of made me go well he already knows he, he knows that right just cut to the prayer request right <laughs> get to the chase but here the psalmist is informing god hey god look they're here's what they're doing they're, they're doing this they're they're saying these things they're acting this way and then he, he's petitioning to, to God saying, hey, we want you to act. And so maybe there's precedent to that. Oh, man, absolutely. Lo and behold, to lay out your heart to God is, is a godly quality. Right. This is what we've been talking about. This whole, I mean, a lot a lot of the, the Psalms have been saying, like, give your heart to God. I think God enjoys it. In the same way that when you go home to talk to your kids, you might know what happened in the day, but you like hearing it from them. True. You want them to talk to you. And, and God, the Father, invites us to do the same. Right, right. Some exegetical points here in, in uh, verses nine and 10 there do to them as you did to Midian. Okay. As to Sisera and, uh, and Jabin at the river Kishon. Okay. Sisera and Jabin. Wow. You remember, uh, this is what you know your Bible from the book of judges mm-hmm. and the situation there, uh, Sisera, I believe was the one, correct me if I'm wrong, Pastor Rob, but got the tent peg. I can't, I always get those two confused. Yeah. The tent peg through the head. That was, hold on. I'm trying to catch back up with where you are. Sounds right though. Yeah. I think that was Sisera. Um, and JL was, JL, she was the, the one, one that did it, She's right? the one who did, that's right. To Cicera. That's right. Which I, I always think about, though. anyways, that's judges. We'll get there. But like, I'm like, Next dude, we'll how there. did you stay asleep with the point of a tent peg, like resting on your temple ready? He was Whatever. exhausted, man. She must've been a strong hit. Anyways, he, the psalmist is saying, do that, do that to our enemies. And then he lists some other people, make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb and Zeba and Zalmuna. This is why you need to study Bible. So I know you guys know all of them, but in case for the one or two people out there that don't the one percent, I didn't know who they were. I was reading this going, okay, who were these people? We need to know. Um, they were Midianite princes and kings killed while Gideon was a judge. Wow. Um, so the, the two there at the end, Zeba and Zalmuna, were two that Gideon himself killed. The others kill, were killed during his, uh, his leadership there by others. But basically he's saying, God, raise up and strike them down just like you did with the Midianites. Yep. And he's appealing back to those things and reminding God, again, reminding God of things. That's like informing him of things. It's like, he knows. He knows. He, he, he did that. He wants you to talk to him. Verse 16, 17, and 18. This is interesting. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. Okay. We talked, I think, last episode about how the psalmist was praying that God would act for his glory, mm-hmm. deliver for his glory. Right. And and here, it's still for the glory, but but it's the opposite. This is not fill their faces with shame so that they will repent and come to faith in, in God. That mm. that might be the read initially there, but look at how it continues. Let them be put to shame, dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace that they may know you alone whose name is the Lord. In other words, the psalmist is saying, 
wreck them and then cause them to know that you're God for your glory. Glorify yourself in judging them. In judging them. Exactly. Yeah. Are you trying to set us up for Romans 9? 9, 9, 10, and 11? I mean, you said it. So we're not there yet. We're not that's, there. that's still, it's not today's problem. <sighs> that's tomorrow's problem. <laughs> yeah. I really, I, one of the things that this chapter reminded me of is, is, the, is the expectation that the psalmist, Asaph, had of his audience that yeah. they knew who these names were. Yeah. They, they know Edom and Ishmael and Moab and the Hagrites. I think, man, if that's the expectation that Asaph had for his audience, that's probably a reasonable expectation. Mm-hmm. We have a long way to go. Well, and why did they know that? They knew that because of Psalm 78. You remember we talked about that a few days ago. That's right. Because the, the previous generations were faithful to teach them because they didn't have the Bible on their iPhone sitting at home to pull Crazy. up and be like, oh yeah, I remember from Judges. This, they just that, had this. to memorize it. Yep. They just had to hear it. Yep. Wow. Yeah, my wife and I were bemoaning that last night. We went out and we were driving around and, and we were coming back and, and uh, we were both talking about just getting older and forgetting things more mm-hmm. <laughs> and how frustrating that is. Yes. And I said, well, I think part of it is, and I held up my phone because of these things. Because we don't need to remember. We don't, they, like they've become our brain. Like we're, we it's plug like a, a reminder in, we, we plug notes like brain, in. Yeah. Or even when we can't remember, we open up our internet browser on our phone and type in, what is this thing? And then it, we get wow. the answer. Yeah. Yeah, that's a shame. I, I, I feel like... It's a shame and a benefit. Right. I don't want to give it away. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I'm keeping it. Yeah, get rid of technology. Ah. No. All right. Here you go, Pastor Rod. Psalm 84. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Yep. Matt Redman sang it. We, my church sang it over and over again. We did too. Uh, from my soul longs and even faints for you. That, it's a classic. And the bridge, the better's one day. Yeah. Better is one. And then you just keep going on that over and over. And uh, yeah, over I mean, you, you sing it a thousand times. That's how good it was. <laughs> well, this is a psalm uh, that was most likely sung by pilgrims coming to Jerusalem. And so they're on their way up to the temple talking about, praising, singing about the dwelling place of God. Um, and so as they're coming up, they're singing, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, as they see Zion arising in the distance, as they come up to the temple mount. These are the words that are on their lips. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. I, I, I don't mean to keep going back to when we get to Israel, but man, we need to get there as fast as we can. Because even today, and you go to the temple mount, and right now it's the Dome of the Rock, which is the the shrine, the uh, Islamic shrine that's there. And then they've got also the, the mosque that's there over on the other side. But even with those two obscene buildings there, there's still something about being on the, the, the temple mount that's just, it's just cool. There's a feel to it where you're like, man, this is awesome to think about all that took place here, not just with the temple, but you think about the fact that that was Mount Moriah. I mean, that was where Abraham offered up Isaac and mm-hmm. you can't get there anymore, but you're nearby, you're, you're close in proximity. It's just a cool thing to be there. Um, and I can't imagine in its heyday coming up and seeing it rise up there and just being like, wow, this is so cool to be with God's people in the courts with the, with him. And clearly the, the, the point here for us as believers is not that we want to get back to a physical temple in a physical temple mount on earth. But when we get to go and be with him for all of eternity in, in glory, and that's where verse 10 for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere, which we sing and we think about, but think about that your best day, whatever that is, Pastor Rod, what's the best day of your entire life? Uh, your wife is listening to this podcast. Uh, then that case, there's two best days, her birthday. And then our marriage wedding day. Okay. July 28th and July 12th. Okay. There you go. Yeah, for sure. Birthday. Yeah. I was thinking like that you experienced. No, me personally. Uh, 
I don't know, man. I guess my, so we're not saying salvation, obviously, because that's a different kind of thing. Right. That's um, a Jesus juke. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. Like there's a lot of competing days. Having my kids being born, that's kind of cool. Those are each very special and memorable. I think uh, I, I really enjoy Disneyland. So I'd put that somewhere in the top. Really? 15, 20. That shocks me. I mean, I don't, I don't know that I'd say it's like my absolute, it's up there because I really appreciate the attention to detail and the, the sophistication. Okay. Of their that approach. makes sense. That makes sense. I, 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 true confession. I can't stand Disneyland. I, I would go because I, I love my wife and I love my kids <laughs> and we would go and uh, yeah, but I'll I, take your ticket next time. It's not the happiest place on earth. Whatever your greatest day is. I mean, for, for me, certainly uh, my wedding is up there. Marriage, like that experience, whatever that is. And then you take this and the psalmist says, better is one day in the presence of God than a thousand of those days stacked one after the other. Yeah. That's amazing. That's it amazing. And, and it's one of those things that I think is, is easy for us to sing. It's easy for us to say. It's easy for us to nod our, our heads in agreement with, but do we really believe it? I referenced, I think, last time Psalm 1611, where the psalmist says, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. There's nowhere here on earth. There's no experience you will ever have here on earth that will be able to, to live up to that. Where you could say that was, that was the fullness of joy, what I just experienced. That only exists in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. And this psalm is anticipating that and what an awesome thing it is. That's a very experiential way to approach that too. So it's like a Psalm 34 idea. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Mm. It's calling you to enjoy. If you, if maybe it's been a long time since you knew what that felt like and you, you did have experiences where being in God's presence was amazing and overwhelming and enthralling. And maybe you're, you're now in a dry season. Mm. Uh, I don't think it's a bad thing to pray. Lord, I, I want to uh, help me to know the joy of my salvation. Give me the experiential quality of being near to you. And I think that's what you're getting at. And I think a lot of us have had seasons where that was especially poignant. You felt it. And there are seasons where it's like, man, I, I, I long for that. Mm-hmm. I want that back. For whatever reason, God kind of draws, withdraws his hand and causes us to yearn for him and stretch for him. But pray for that if that's where you're at. Yeah. In, in fact, you mentioned the dryness. If you look back at verse six, as they go through the valley of Baca, the Baca. Yep. Baca is, uh, it's, a, it's an un- unknown. Lots of chickens. Yeah. <laughs> it's an unknown place. Um, but it probably is a transliteration of a word that meant something else. Because it sounds like the Hebrew word that means balsam tree. Mm-hmm. And the balsam tree was a tree that grew in dry and arid places. Mm-hmm. So you would find it in a place where there were no springs, no, no water sources around it. And it could live there, but really nothing else was going to be able to live there. Right. Or another where it's close to is the valley of is tears, weeping. So when it says there, as they go through the Valley of Baca, it's either uh, as you go through a dry and arid place, or you go through a, a place of deep sorrow. Like you were just saying, if you felt dry, it's not a bad thing to pray that, that the Lord will give you this experience because look at the promise there. They make it the place of springs. The early rain covers it with pools. That's right. And so God responds in that way. Well, let's get to Romans chapter eight. Here Romans chapter eight. You didn't sing. I mean, I guess you did a little bit, but I, yeah, yeah. I, th- I don't think they want to hear me sing. Well, actually, I was thinking about the song about Romans chapter eight. Can you sing that one? Oh yeah. Uh, for I consider <laughs> that the sufferings. <laughs> All right. Well, in Romans chapter eight, we ended in verse eighteen that the sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that's to be revealed. And then he talks about creation. Then in verses nineteen and following, and creation is is longing for that day as well. And it's been subjected to the curse of the fall. And it wants to see the redemption of mankind because there's going to be a restoration of creation too. That's right. So uh, th- this is an interesting one just to kick around within the uh, the chasms of our, our minds here. And that is th- what 
what does that actually look like? What does that mean? Because Peter talks about this earth, this present creation being burned up, yeah. being destroyed, being turned, you know, worn out with flame. Um, so is that what this creation is, is anticipating? Hmm. And there are some that believe in the recreation model, which we would say we would believe in that it's a new heavens and a new earth. There are others that believe kind of in a rehabilitation model that it's going to be the present creation is going to be restored to its, to its full glory. This is, this is a strange tension here because creation is, Paul says is groaning. I think he's, we don't need to press it too far. I think he's just making a point to say, Hey, everything is broken. Everything has fallen. Everything needs to be made right here. But it's it's interesting because I, I believe Peter's saying it's all going to be destroyed. Pastor Rod, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I don't like to stretch it too much. I do think it points to the ultimate reconstitution, the recreation of creation to be as it was meant to be, to be uh, not only what we knew in the garden, but even beyond that and better than that, because in this particular iteration, sin is fully eradicated. It's not even made possible in the new creation. Mm. So I see this as being something that's pointing to the ultimate eschaton, after everything has been remade, the saints are ruling and reigning on the earth with the new Jerusalem being uh, the central location of our experience. But I think that's, that's what I see. End of time, God doing all good things for us in this way. Verse 23, we also are groaning, just like creation. We're groaning. We, we have the first fruits of the spirit, meaning we've gotten that, that initial deposit there. That's the guarantee of that future inheritance that we will have in eternity. And we're groaning inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. Redemption of our bodies, our somas. Yep. So the future, when we will go and we will be with him and we will be free from this body of death and have that glorified body for all of eternity. And that spirit, he goes on and says, in the meantime, helps us in our weaknesses when we do not know how to pray. Pray, the spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So cool. Yeah, unpack that for us a little bit, PR. <laughs> groanings too deep for words. A couple ways you can understand this, and I, I'll just give you the way that I understand this. Um, you can understand it as the utter the utterance of the, the spirit himself. He's uttering groanings that are too deep for words. So it's essentially there's no words there. The spirit's communicating to the triune Godhead about your needs and about what needs to happen in your life. The other way to understand this is that it's groanings on your part. The spirit himself is causing you to groan toward him, and, and it's essentially a, praying to him, asking him to do things, and perhaps even tr- not able to vocalize all that your heart desires and just saying, spirit, you know, God, you know, please respond to these things. So I take it to be a reference to the spirit, what he does. I see the spirit interceding for us as well as Jesus, both working together to accomplish God's purposes. Awesome. Verse 38 or verse 28, rather, verse 38. We're just going to jump over some of the most significant. Okay, verse 28. Um, here's the, I want a Lamborghini in my, my driveway verse, right? Because mm. God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. Okay, here's our problem. Two things. Number one, we has to do with the definition of a word. Number two has to do with the truncation of the verse. Ooh. Verse 28, first problem is the definition of the word. We want to define good. And that's our, our problem. And that's why so many have gone wrong with this verse in the church over his, church history. They've mm-hmm. decided, well, we get to define what's good. And so if all things work together for my good, I'm going to define my good is I'm going to have this zip code, this bank account, this wife, this family, this job, this car, right? And so we're like, well, all things are working together towards that end. And, and out of that comes the, the erroneous uh, philosophies and theologies like the name it and claim it movement. I'm going to, I'm going to claim that this is going to be real. I'm going to name it. And then it's going to be real because it's going to work it right declared we don't get to define good god gets to define good and we know that because of what's left off when we truncate this verse and just say for the good of those who love him 
because there's another clause on there that says who are called according to his purpose. His purpose. His purpose defines our good. Not our purpose. Right. And his purpose is given to us in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Okay. Don't get your panties in a wad about that word. Okay. <laughs> I don't he, wear panties, bro, but just good. Okay, good. Go ahead. He predestined. He purposed. Okay. Let me use that just to connect it back to verse 28. He's purposed that we would be conformed to the image of his son. Okay. What, what is our good? There it is right there that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus, his son. So all things work together for our good in the sense that everything in our lives Everything in our lives, as believers, God is using to make us more like Jesus, one way or the other. And sometimes that's going to be a painful process, because if you think about Michelangelo Most carving yeah. or carving David out of that that rejected block of marble twice, it was rejected by master artisans and said it's it's unworthy of of, of our attention. Michelangelo finally came to it and said, "I can do this," because he saw David inside that that marble. But how did he get David out of the marble? Well, it, there was some violence to that. He had to take the chisel and the hammer initially and knock off massive sections of that marble. That's, that's the Christian life. That's all things working together for our good as we are conformed more and more to the image of Christ. As we start out as, as brand new Christians, God has the hammer and chisel in hand. But even throughout the rest of our life, he's refining. He's got the sandpaper. He's got the, the smaller instruments as he continues to chisel away that which doesn't look like Jesus to make us look more like Jesus. Preach it. Verse 30. Those whom he predestined, those ones that he's purposed to be conformed to the image of Jesus, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Man, so that this podcast does not go an hour and a half, I just want you to notice the verb tenses here. I want you to pay attention to them. He's predestined. Okay, that, that's an act that we believe took place in eternity past. He called, okay? He's called you and I. That's the effectual call of salvation. That's past tense. It's happened. Those whom he called, he also justified, okay? If you are in Christ, your justification, past tense, has already taken place. It took place at the cross in the empty tomb. You've been declared righteous. But then there's that final word in the chain. He also glorified. Mm. Done deal. But yet we're not, right? That's right. So the past tense here, and it's translated appropriately in the past tense by Paul, is done so because it's a guarantee. It's it's as good as done. Like you said, it's a done deal. Just as much as your predestination, your calling, your justification, so sure is your glorification because of the rest of chapter eight, Beautiful. because nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so, man, it, I'm, I'm not... We don't have enough time to do justice to everything that he says in chapter eight, but he asked these rhetorical questions saying, there's no one left to bring any charge against you, Christian. He opened, remember in Romans eight, one, there's no condemnation. He's he's circling back to that at the end of chapter eight saying, who is going to be condemn you? The only one with the right to condemn you is Jesus and Jesus died for you. So you don't have to worry about him condemning you if he's the one that died for you. Yeah. And as a result, nothing is going to be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. What security we have. This is incredible. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. What, how encouraging it is to us um, as believers to know that. And uh, no matter what, what comes our way, we know 100% that we are secure in Christ. This is why people love Romans 8. This whole chapter is just so rich, it so, is. so spiritually nourishing that you could spend hours and hours and hours on this and still not mind the depths of all that it suggests for us. It, yes. Let it. Let it marinate your heart. If you have time today, you would do, um, there'd be a million other things that would be less profitable than you just spending time in Romans 8 and letting God use it to scrub your heart clean with some encouragement. Yep. Yep. 
Well, hey, we thank you for listening to us. Um, yeah, just to prep everybody, Romans 9, uh, we're going to need our, our, our buckles on, our seatbelts on for Romans 9. But uh, hey, we're going to walk through it with you. It's the next chapter up in our DBR, and we'll hit it with you guys tomorrow along with continuing the Psalms. We'll catch you again for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hasta luego. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org, and we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Mm -hmm.